episode 50. Halfway to 100, man. We are one episode closer, and I'm always excited for the next one. Today, today, you know, you're struggling out, out in the West, out in the, uh, the, the Cali life, the, the hottest shit, no rain. And I'm out East just, you know, it, enjoying some, uh, some what would, would be standard BC weather with rain and sunny. But man, how are, uh, how are things up in uh, what is now like the desert up there in uh, BC? You know, the great Derek Lewis has the quote that I think puts it perfectly is my balls is hot. <laughs> and that basically sums up my life right now. Like this is ridiculous. Um, I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> Temperatures over 40 degrees should not happen. Um, Climate change is real. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we need to prevent any more. Greta was right. Melting. That chick was right. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. I could. Yeah. I only imagine when it's like out there. Yeah. Like it's at the point where if you, you can't walk outside barefoot. It's it's uh, the the cement would cook eggs, eh? Like in cartoons, like you'd watch it's, Sunday it's mornings. Like, it's like in the office when they need to walk across the the coals. The coals. That's what it's like. Just anywhere. <laughs> oh, jeez, yikes! Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's not ideal out here. But what is ideal, and uh, the both of us would like to send out the message to three Moo Crew members. Phil Berna, Jake Teal, Harry Jones. We're all named to the Tokyo Olympic Seven squad. So uh, big congrats to them. It's been a long time coming, especially for Harry. Uh, hoping to get Phil and Jake on here before they head out. Uh, that should be a, a fun episode. We'll get uh, get some of Jake's thoughts on how he's going to be Tokyo's biggest supervillain. <laughs> oh, man, I'm... Not only will those two have some more stories for us, but just, you know, not only hearing their excitement for the games upcoming, but those are two guys that just are always just a brightness in the mood and they always just pick everyone else around them up. And, you know, I'm excited to uh, talk to those guys soon again. And, you know, they'll have some words for us and putting a, well, you know, I'm going to throw you under the bus and that list you created didn't have rugby as high as they wanted. So you know, you might have to prepare yourself for that, create a little legal defense, but you know, awesome. Awesome to see uh, past guests succeed. And you know, the, the Tokyo games are going to come up and, you know, we're going to have so many, um, so many past guests going into the games and, you know, cheering them on, hoping they do well. We're going to get really popular when all our guests medal and then they come back on. Yeah. Oh, big time. But yeah, I know that'll be a, a good episode to, I don't know. Would, are we doing seasons for this, this thing? Like it's fucking rolling, fit, man. It's a train. Season, just, just keeps a, going. Just a one season, infinite episodes, you know, just <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. Either way, kick off the second 50. Yep. There's exactly. no better. That's way. how I like to see it. That's why I like to see it. The second 50. You got to start off strong and, uh, and we'll go from there. Um, kick it off. You know, tour de France started. Um, not many people watch it, but us. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> my man Peter Sagan looks like he's kind of finally fallen off the horse a little bit. Yeah, he Chris Froome uh, was 
yeah stage was, stage one didn't treat him well but it's uh yeah Sagan was like plus 500 to win the green jersey which if you looked at that three years ago you would have thought that the world was ending and based on the temperatures in bc it might be um <laughs> it's like uh what's the movie with jonah hill and seth rogan and all like the big names i think the end was, of the world the end of the world yeah and then the aliens oh man that's just a movie that's fucked but yeah to actually bring up something important and value continue with your thought yeah and uh for those of you who actually watched yesterday we saw a fan take out almost the entire peloton <laughs> yeah like a cardboard sign you never would have thought a cardboard sign could do so much damage but like i think there was something like 10 guys broke their bikes um and like it, it's just such a mess and i the thing with cycling and what makes it so unique is the fan interaction and how close the fans can get but then some bonehead goes and does this shit and it's just like kind of ruins the whole sport and before i have you chime in here for those of you who keep up with the website and read the last article about soccer canada asking or forcing people to pay to watch i'm not a big fan of the tour de france doing the same thing i mean their tv rights with sportsnet ran out and now you gotta buy some weird subscription that you gotta subscribe for like 12 months for just to watch the tour and i'm like man like this is a developing sport like how can we not get some like basic cable network to pick pick this up like i don't want to have to go online and jump through like 30 different advertisements to watch an extremely laggy stream or pay like 300 dollars to watch this like it's the biggest cycling event in the world come on <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree. Like it's cycling, well, professional cycling, you know, in, in North America isn't exactly really strong, right? I'm sure it's got its pockets, whatever. But when you compare it to Europe, it's night and day. So you'd think that they'd want a little bit more of a, um, like you said, a little more reliable source, a, uh, a network deal and something along those lines would make more sense and, you know, easier for new fans to get into. But, you know, like you said, I think you, you touched uh, the component of the whole fan interaction really well. I mean, it's cool to see the cyclists inches away sometimes with the fans. And you always think to yourself, man, like maybe one day the fan will just get a little too close. And it happened. Um, you know, the the unfortunate thing is based off the uh, the articles and the way they were saying it is that this fan had no real interest in the race itself. They the fan was trying to promote something or oh there's was... there's tons of guys that, that are, they'll wear jerseys or like they'll be butt ass naked with like yeah. something painted on their back <laughs> running up the hill yeah. next to the guy and it's like look like that's part of the european sports scene right like european fans are probably like the craziest like most out there like they're ridiculous people like they can be and it like adds to like it's fun to watch that oh like, absolutely it's, cool. it's part it of the spectacle good, it yeah. gives you a good laugh like and if you're there like it's it's that much more crazy but like there's definitely a line and like some people will go right up to that line oh and it'll graze the line will literally then... like be right in front of the cyclists and cause a crash yeah no big time big time well said i mean it's you know, it's, I like the fans. I like how close they can interact and you can see them. But, you know, like you said, once they start impacting the, the actual race itself and the, the well-being and the health of the riders, then it's, you know, it's, it's time to make a change. But 
the the French authorities, I don't know what that means, whether it's the government or just local police or whatever, but they've opened an investigation and and said they're going to look into this. And then a member of the uh, the Tour de France, I believe, or the psych like the cycling pro circuit said that they're going to sue um, the individual that caused the crash. So you know, from someone who thought they was doing an, a harmless action, have created such a debacle. So it's <laughs> it's you know. It looks like the riders are all okay for the most part. Uh, I think what Tony Martin, the one individual that got impacted immediately, was battling some things. But you know, for the grand scheme of things, it looks like they're okay. So you know, that's good for that perspective. But fuck, I mean, cycling's not even a huge sport, and this is what they're in the news for. So that's uh, it's not a great look for the fellas. You never see cycling in the news until there's like some horrific crash. Or, or like, uh, the Tour de France or, is over. Yeah, or like, the, the or one guy's cheating and it's uh, his yeah, name rhymes yeah. with Rance Lamstrong. So it's yeah, uh, it's a little yeah. Tough. Or or you've got the uh, the old Quintana um, mechanical bike. I don't know if you've heard <laughs> about that, but I'm not going to get into that. But yeah, there's uh, there you can deep, dive deep into some uh, cycling conspiracies. <laughs> So this this week when I was trying to figure out all the in the news topics, every topic I came across was was worth more than just a five minute rant from either one of us. So I think we should just get right into it. Um, we're going to go into the sport where it's so one sided between our knowledge. I, I'm going to look to you for your input, but the Euro 2020 is well underway. I mean, yeah, I know Dick all about soccer. That's not news to anyone. But I have learned. I have learned a lot about the Dutch team, my uh, my second country. What did I tell and, you? What did I tell yeah, you when you asked no, me? You did. Wyatt's words from the very beginning was they have skill, but they're incredibly inconsistent, and that's what we saw from the Dutch team today, losing two nothing to the Czechs. Um, you know, from from my understanding from the first half, it was very you know 50-50 in that the Czechs were providing a great back and forth with the with the dutch uh with the netherlands but the netherlands did have uh in my opinion more scoring chances right they but they just couldn't score they couldn't finish they they had the opportunities and they didn't and then it went into the second half you know obviously soccer is a sport where you can go up one nothing and completely change your lineup to be defensive and then win the game it works right which i think is very cool but anyways the, the point of this is the the netherlands come down on a great scoring chance um the last name of the, the striker, Malin, kind of takes an extra hesitation step, tries to go up, cut across the goalie, and he makes a great save and ends up, you know, transferring possession over back to the Czechs. And the Czechs come down, great scoring chance. Delight gets a red card because he put the hand on the ball, which I want your opinion on that too. And then ultimately with his removal of the game, it changes things. They score, I think, within... 12 minutes of him getting the red card eight minutes yeah. and at that point you just knew it was over i got up and i'm like fuck this my dad kind of looked at me like you've you've i've watched every second of the the netherlands this tournament and they scored that first goal you know even when i was talking to you about red cards and that impacts the uh, the ability of the team and i'm like that this is over you know the, the dutch don't have that gold striker that they used to and this this is it so it was tough to watch. I, I did give up betting for the day and it's um it's difficult to see the Netherlands, you know, especially when you look at the um the bracket and how easy their next two games could have been and on their way to the finals, which is, you know, a team that's 
I they don't they weren't in the last Euros, I believe, which was upsetting. And you know, just a, a country that where they pride themselves on their their cycling, ironically, and their soccer ability or football. It's it's difficult to watch. So you know, there's my rant. You know, supporting the my homeland. But what is your opinion on the whole red card and then the Netherlands? failure in my opinion and what a lot of uh, soccer analysts are saying too yeah I mean if you looked at the stats I think on paper it looked a lot it looked a lot closer than it was the Netherlands was in my opinion I'd say they were dominating uh the chance you referenced I truly don't know how he mangled that like um, he had time it, and, it, it yeah, wasn't it was... even a good play by the goaltender like he no? just played that so badly um (laughs) like if he he literally could have kicked the ball eight yards to the right and ran onto it and scored i don't really know what he was thinking um look the red card i think they got royally screwed um i that's the thing with var is like when you're looking at videos you can try to tell yourself what somebody's intention is, but you can never really tell. It's kind of something that the decision on intention has to be made live. And when it happens, um, there was contact that led to him going down. He didn't go yeah, on, you down could, on his you could own. see that yeah. had he yeah. gone down and not moved his arm, it still would have hit his arm. Um, so I thought the red card was really harsh. Um, for the Dutch to go down, I mean, he's their best player. Van Dyke's not playing. He's their best player. I have a lot of respect for Frankie de Jong, but Delight is the, the best player that they have. Um, and it's the changes weren't made after that red card that needed to be. They kept three at the back, which was a poor decision. Uh, if you're a team that plays four at the back and you take a red card on the back line, you need to immediately push four back there um the changes were not made and it's just a team that they have the skill but they're still relatively shallow like they're they don't have the depth that they had in 2010 when they made the push to the finals um and it's it's evident it's been evident in the last six years of international play i mean they missed the last euros I think they missed the last World Cup. I might be wrong on that. Um, I think I you're right. Con- I think you're yeah, right. I might be confusing them with Italy, though. Um, but like, it's it, it's a mess. And Dutch football is just there's so much quality. And Memphis Depay is, and Vinaldum are so good to lead the attack of that team. And it's just it comes down to poor quality and finishes and a questionable red card at the end of the day that sends them home after they, they really did look like they could go on a run after the group stage. I mean, I don't think that they were going to get past either Germany or England anyways. I don't think, think that they were going to make a push to the finals, but I mean, now we're never going to know. And they lost to a very weak Czech team who did deserve to win based on the second half. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I was, I was watching after that red card came in and, you know, I'm not as educated as you, as I've said before in this episode and previous ones, but it looked to the Dutch where they were just kind of complaining after every tackle and they were just looking to the the refs and just kind of throwing up their arms and almost as if they were just trying to fish out 
an even call or or something along those See, lines, like, which that's part of soccer though. I don't and I'm not a fan I, of that. No, but I, mean, I hate it. I hate it, but you have to think of it like a card in soccer is essentially like a penalty in hockey. So like you have guys that are arguing that that should have been a penalty in hockey, right? And that's part of the game. You never really question it. Question it unless it's Goudreau and, you know, it's it's literally after everything. Um, like it's, it's the same in soccer and it looks really bad until you kind of think about it like eh, a card in this is just like a penalty in something else. Like it's, it's kind of the same thing. Obviously it looks a lot worse in soccer because you're asking him to pull a card out and, and give it to the guy. I think like the Dutch really did have every op, like every right to, to do that. I mean, they, they, they felt that they got royally screwed. I felt that they got pretty screwed. Their fans thought they got screwed. I'd like to know what the Czech's opinion on it was like without like, putting themselves on the Czech team, like just as a neutral spectator, what they actually thought of the call. Obviously I don't think that opinion is ever going to come out, but like it's part of soccer asking for cards. I'm not a huge fan of it, but if you look at it in the grand scheme of things, it's very similar to, to asking for calls in other sports. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Like it, it, it did get pretty excessive in the second half after that, but yeah, like right after for the next 10 minutes and they felt that they, they deserved a call to go back their way. And unfortunately soccer does not work like the, the North American sports where if a ref screws you, they will try to write their wrong. Yeah, no, I mean, well said. I mean, we can, we don't always have, we don't have to talk about the Dutch too much longer, but the the comments too from the the Canadian announcers as well as you know the, the the football analysts within the European markets was that the Dutch going into the tournament based off of a weak division had great opportunities but they were limited by a um, a striker that wasn't a complete game changer right because will De, will to him definitely butching that into pay right Depay was more of a left mid center fielder kind of thing. Well, to him's a midfielder. Anyways, the, the point of the an- analyst, right, was that they didn't have a, a Van Persie, right? They didn't have legends of the past like they did where they could just give up a striker and just say, go score a goal. That was the one argument they put forth, which, I mean, wasn't really a big issue until that game against the Czechs when you saw the handful of times where DePay would send someone in and he would have a great opportunity and then he would just miss. That was one argument. The other argument was the goaltending which wasn't really a big issue until you saw the, the 10th man, you know, the 11th man go down and um, the, you know, the 38 year old goalkeeper was kind of put into a place where they needed him to step up. Um, For my opinion, I mean, you can kind of look back to that one goal that was given up where it was off a cross and the goalie, the puck, the ball, excuse me, the, the puck, the ball comes in and he just drops it. Right. I'm not sure if you remember that, but it was on his left side. It was like a kind of like a weak shot. It was right at him. Instead of controlling it and settling the, the, the game, he drops it, leads to a corner, you know, indirectly leads to a goal by the checks to put them up one nothing. But I mean, you know, like the analyst said, like you said, right, the, the Dutch were just too inconsistent and they blew an opportunity here. So it's, you know, it's tough for, uh, for being a Dutch little Dutch guy like myself, but I guess on to the next. So. Yeah. I mean, the, the Dutch have never had good goaltending and that's, 
Yeah, that's... It, it, it's a Dutch thing, and it's it's realistically not going to get fixed. In terms of not having like a an outright striker or an outright forward who's who's a game changer, there's a lot of teams, and it, it's not a strong argument. I mean, Germany's the same way; they're just a solid team. Spain literally has nobody that can score goals. Italy doesn't have a star player. Like the the stars at forward and that's that's the thing with the international game and that's why you'll hear so many people say that belgium is the closest uh international team that you'll find to a club team in terms of the quality and it's the fact that a lot of these teams have big glaring holes as good as they are because like you're you can only pick from your country you you can't pick from anything else and you, you have to play the cards that you're drawn and a lot of the time, like, there's very few, like, incredible quality forwards in the world. And a lot of them play for rogue countries <laughs> that w- you'll never see play a significant competitive international game simply because the quality isn't around those guys to be able to carry their team. So, like, <sighs> Like there's so many quality teams that don't have an outright score. And I hate Canadian broadcast teams for soccer because it truly <laughs> is like if you had any sort of career and yeah, have they'll, an they'll accent, throw you on. <laughs> they'll throw you on. Um yeah. So I I I do not like I'm not a fan of the the Canadian broadcast teams for soccer. I never really have been. Um, on the international stage, that is on the, on the club stage within MLS, I, I got no problem with those guys, but on the international stage, I'm not a huge fan. I, I like the fact that they bring in some of the Canadian women. They had, they have Janine Becky on now. I'm a big fan of that. Cause at least you're getting a legitimate opinion from somebody who's currently in the game playing for a very competitive Canadian team. Um, but the other people I, uh, <laughs> I'm not too high on. Yeah, no, I mean, so I don't know. So I can't really gauge my opinion on that, but I mean, if you, if you uh, feel that strong that way, so you must be onto something, um, who do you have kind of going, we'll finish up our, our football talk, but who do you have as a potential winning, uh, nation? Uh, so I'm going to start it off with Croatia is going to beat Spain. I think that game happens the day that this comes out in the morning. So I'm putting that out there. That might be a hot take, but Spain sucks. Um, I think Belgium's going to the finals and then whoever comes out of the England Germany game. I mean, I'm hoping it's Germany. I'm a big Germany guy. Germany, Belgium would probably be like the best final that I could ask for. Yeah, that would be great. But yeah, I, I don't think anybody beats Belgium. Belgium's the number one country in the world for a reason. Uh, France has looked lackluster. Italy. Yeah, they've they've been off. It's it's kind of tough to watch sometimes because you know you look at the names and you're thinking this. Why would they lose, right? But but and they that, just that's that's the whole they, thing. Games are not yeah. played on paper. Exactly. Yeah. This isn't so, you know FIFA 21. Exactly. They're. Uh, they're real people. They're not just ratings, <laughs> but yeah, I, I just don't see anyone beating Belgium. That is if Kevin De Bruyne is still healthy. Um, but I mean, 
they beat Portugal. They they did get outplayed by Portugal. Portugal Portugal is an incredible side, but I mean Portugal had no chances. So yeah, that's that's, I, that's I not got, kid ourselves. I got a hard hard time believing that somebody puts the boots to Belgium and kicks them out. So I mean you maybe uh like a little run from Sweden. I don't know. They've looked pretty good. They've got a oh Sweden depending- is so bad, man. Like Sweden <laughs> is the most boring soccer team in the world. So that's not happening. There you go. Perfect. Just just shut down my uh, my ultimate dark horse theory. Um but I mean we've seen a dark horse within the NHL happen this past this past NHL playoffs and with the Habs somehow coming to the uh the Stanley Cup final to face off the Lightning. I mean, I would have not, I wouldn't have thought this was going to happen. Uh, I was joking with my dad and he said the Habs were going to beat the Leafs. And I thought he was delusional for that one. But I mean, the Habs beat the Knights and now they look to play the Lightning, who I think again are obviously heavy favorites when it comes to Vegas. And be, between you and me, I think the Lightning are going to make, well, uh, I think they'll win in six. But, you know, Lightning and Habs will be another great series. But what are your thoughts on the Habs coming this far? I think you've given me that same analysis every series in Montreal. Yeah, man, so I've doubted them except for the Winnipeg. I, I thought they were going to yeah. beat Winnipeg, well, but I mean, I, a lot I, of like, people did. Yeah, I mean, I told you, I, I say everybody's going to beat the Leafs, but I, I think you might have thought I was kidding when I said Montreal was going to beat them. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think most people could put two and two together and see that Montreal was going to beat Winnipeg, but. We that wasn't a big, yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah. We were talking I didn't take a, an analyst about, to figure that yeah, out. About uh, betting on the Montreal-Vegas series. And I told you that. I thought Montreal had it, had it in them. And you're just like, I think Vegas is just going to absolutely kick their ass. Yeah. yeah. So. I was wrong. So wrong. <laughs> I, I am, I'm honestly going with Montreal in six. Um, I think it, it, it comes down to who's got the better goalie. And Every you can take every player's pull that you want based on current things. You can take every analytical view that's going to point in Vasilevsky's favor. You can take the fact that he thoroughly dominated every team he played against in the regular season. Carey Price is the best goalie in that in the NHL. He's the best goalie when it comes to clutch clutch time. That's when it counts. Uh, I mean, his numbers since what game four against toronto they're fucking delusional like video game numbers like it's insane you you could play nhl 21 and not get those numbers like you could play it on rookie mode and not have those numbers i mean playing as a goalie is next to impossible but carry price is just so damn good and i think montreal the islanders gave tampa a lot of problems with how physical they play tampa is not a team that's built to play physically they're a big finesse team. Uh, I'm going to go into the stereotype that Europeans don't play with a lot of contact. They're a very European team. That no, you're not wrong. That's un- unironically plays into the fact that they don't play to a lot of contact. It's a team that's not really built to t- get hit. They're kind of fragile. Um, and I think Montreal and the Islanders are very identical. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I, I thought I think that the Montreal's Islanders were the better just... version. Really, I was thinking the Islanders are better version. Montreal, I'd say like with Price or, or hotter, but I mean, I I looked at that Lightning squad and I don't see an issue anywhere in that lineup, right? From from how deep they are to the to the defense, who just consistently 
help Vasilevsky and, and perform, you know, night in, night out. But I'm at this point, what the fuck do I know? Because I've said the Habs are going to lose every series, but the Jets won and they've proved me wrong every time. Um, one thing that I, I truly struggle to understand with is I'll watch the Habs game and I'm just kind of thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, like there's a potential mistake right there in the Habs part that could lead to a scoring chance. But, you know, but the, the lightning, excuse me, but the, you know, the Leafs, the Jets, the, the Golden Knights, they don't make these changes to kind of cater to the, to the Montreal style of play, right? They're kind of thinking, okay, well, this worked in the past. It's going to work now, right? Which you can't really fault them for because they are where they are because of their success in the season. But I mean, you don't see the play of price every year. Like the, the tear he's on is absolutely insane. And it's just something where it's, it's going to take, you know, the shin pad shot where the puck is going to bounce in. It's going to take an unlucky bounce along those kind of lines of goals. Right. But I mean, I still see like Vegas trying to run the same play and trying to get, you know, a slap shot from the point, hope to God it goes off someone, which, you know, is kind of a wishful thinking, but, it's it's difficult to see that sometimes these NHL guys aren't making these changes, but I mean, it's tough to score on Carey Price right now. So, well, I think that yeah. speaks a lot to like Montreal is a diverse team. Like every line is different. Like they they don't have two forward lines that are playing the same way. And as much as I strongly dislike Corey Perry, like that line that he's on with him, Stall, and is it Byron? On the other side, could be would make sense. Or, or Mia, or, or Mia. Or Mia. I think it's Armia. Yeah. That line is so effective. Like they're so good at playing like solid veteran hockey and keeping the puck down low and just like, and their defense is so big. They're fucking bears, man. Yeah, man. They're and like they six threes. Their average you. height like two twenty. So, yeah, and you've got a Tampa team that like. Stamkos has been out long-term. Tyler Johnson's been out long-term before. Kucherov was out the entire season, just got banged up again in game six. Like, the Islanders didn't have that presence on the back end. Don't get me wrong, the Islanders have a very good defense. But Montreal is huge. And I think the big game changer is the Islanders' special teams were complete dog shit. And Montreal has killed... 30 plus straight penalties. Yeah, it's which something is stupid. Ridiculous. The uh yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, one thing I do want to point out, which I when I watched I watched a lot of the Vegas Hab series over the uh, Lightning Islander series. Oh, me too. Um, but one thing I I can notice is the the Vegas will control the play, right? They'll they'll kind of dictate the speed of the game, they'll kind of they'll kind of figure out who's kind of controlling the possession but what montreal is so good at is if they get a single scoring chance they're gonna score right whether it's you know caulfield with the speed he has or the shot or whether it's you know our trend's favorite player cock but you know between their their you know up and coming guys kind of as well as their their timely goal scorers is that whenever the habs have a chance and it's crunch time they don't fuck it up they always score and so here's a comparison for you <laughs> Uh, you didn't watch Euro 2016. No, but definitely not. Iceland made a run to, I believe, <laughs> the final eight. Wow, Iceland maxed out at 33% possession. 
So like they, they, <laughs> the other team had the ball 67% of the time, but all Iceland did was counterattack, and they did it so well. And watching Montreal, it's almost the exact same thing. Like they're just, uh, they're under attack. They're taking a barrage of shots and they just wait. They wait for the chink in the armor. They wait and then they attack. And next thing you know, you're losing. And I mean, it doesn't help that they're undefeated when they've scored more than one goal. Yeah, it's, you know, the game plan of, you know, stay, stay close to the opposition in terms of the score, you know, rely on price to make those saves to keep them in it. And then once they got that chance, they're going and they're going to score. So it's, I do like that analysis, that comparison. So it's uh, keeps with our Euro, uh, Euro 2020 vibe, but I mean, I've, shafted the Habs this entire entire playoff so I mean what do I know they're probably gonna win the cup in four and I don't know anything about hockey so see so that's what nice. I'm wondering is is there somebody out there who put like a hundred bucks on Montreal to win the cup when they were down 3-1 to Toronto because the odds on that probably were around a thousand to one yeah I, th- I think it was 15 to 1 50 like 1500 to 1 in terms of the Habs winning the cup when they were down 3-1? Oh, I think it, it would have been more than 15. More. Yeah. Yeah, well I think they were they were 18 to 1 just to win the series. Oh jeez. <laughs> Cuz I I thought about it. I'm like, I could put 10 <laughs> bucks on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I didn't, but I'm sure there's somebody who was just like, I got 100 bucks or like I got a free bet in my betting account. I may as well just take a flyer on this and if it pays out, then I could be rich. And if they did, they're going to be in the same boat as the guy that put a hundred bucks on St. Louis when they were in last place. I think, yeah, I think guys look at this year, saw the Red Wings and thought this isn't happening. <laughs> this, is, this isn't round two. Um, <laughs> but one, one final thought before I, uh, you, you allow me to talk some formula one. Um, I think episode six or seven, when we kick this off is we talked about the goalie tandem of one a and one B. Right. We talked about the Bruins and how they had Rask and Halak. And I forget who the other team was. Oh, I think it was the Islanders, actually. We were saying uh, Varlamov and Grice. So now if we look at the Habs and the the Lightning. What do we know probably, about hockey? <laughs> yeah, they're probably the two teams, I'd say, with the biggest separation of talent between 1A and 1B. Allen's a good goalie. Don't get me wrong. I would love to trade my hockey career for his, but he is, he can't even hold Carey Price's fucking backup blocker. All right. So the separation of the talent between those two guys and, um, you know, just kind of the one A and one B tandem is, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you have two good goalies, but when you have one of the best five goalies in the NHL, it doesn't like, it doesn't matter. Those guys will carry you places. So, I mean, little food for thought because i remember i was kind of on one a one b side being a starter myself in my day was the gmhl fake league um <laughs> but but uh but, you know you were more one a one b but it's just you know do you have a defense to that do you have a little comment no. for me, I, I mean, me? Like, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of the thing where like survive until you make the playoffs yep and then for sure go as far as carry wants to carry you yep so it, it makes sense and shorter season. Um, oh, that absolutely. Definitely, it, it, that definitely plays into it. But I mean, once again, we look like we know nothing. 
absolutely absolutely nothing new <laughs> all right i want to talk to some now some formula one this uh this when i guess yesterday now when we released this video but there is a huge change going on within the formula one landscape and that is you know lewis hamilton is no longer the number one race, race car driver in the world and it's uh the little Dutch boy, as I like to call him, Max Verstappen, who has now won two back-to-back races. Um, I want to say three this year. That's that could be wrong. He's, anyways, he's been dominant throughout the entire series, except for the one race where his tire popped. Um, but man, like the the whole Formula One cultures, we can talk before um, we talk about Mercedes, but let's let's just kind of discuss the the rising increase of Max Verstappen and. It looks like it's now his Formula One, and it's it's his race to win going into next weekend. What is uh What are your thoughts on the whole Hamilton Verstappen exchange? Well, see, the reason why I thought Formula One is so stupid is because <laughs> of the grasp that, that Hamilton has had on it. Like, I hate sports where it's just so easy for one person to dominate. And don't get me wrong. Obviously it's not easy, but it like, it looks so easy. Absolutely. And yeah. it, it's yeah. only one name that you had seen in the high, in the headlines of F1 for, for years. Um, and like you, you look at other sports and you, you don't really see that like tennis, obviously there's been the big three, Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, but there's a rivalry between them and it, it's what keeps you coming back. And it's just F1. Like you're not seeing the guys at the bottom. Like you can see in tennis or you can't see in golf. You can see the unranked people make a run and potentially win a major event. You're not seeing that in F1. And now we're seeing somebody else take the throne and it's exciting. It's exciting to see the passing of the torch in a sport it's exciting to see the new talent come up so i mean i'm all for it i actually have been interested in f1 i haven't watched every race because i'm in pacific standard time and they started at like 3 a.m yeah it's insane yeah. five six so i'm not getting up that early yeah but i will i will watch recaps and whatever and like i'm i'm loving it i i love to see changing of the guards in sports yeah, no, well, well said. Um, you know, I we've had this talk before too, because I, I don't know, I've really gotten an F one, and we've talked about whether F one drivers are athletes or not. But that's not here for there for today's discussion. But what I do want to talk about is the importance of the car, and we've seen Mercedes this year kind of take a step back in their performance, which I mean can be debated from their inability to make changes from race to race also could be discussed is the target from um fia i think that's the regulating body of formula one but anyways they the the changes they implemented for the 2021 season which a lot of people were saying were on the teams of aston martin as well as mercedes so what it means for people who don't watch f1 like us is the major changes were only impacting those two companies right it was the weight of the car the downforce minor minor um scientific aspects of it but also the pay excuse me the the cap that a company could spend on formula one right so what all these things have led to is mercedes like why you said was had a dominant control over formula one right hamilton's dominating and botas was always either second or third now botas is all over the place depending on the race location and hamilton is a pawn like they just <laughs> do whatever they want with them yeah and then hamilton 
you know, looks like he's coming second, third, sometimes winning a race, but you know, it's, it's impacted Mercedes so heavily over any other team. And it's come to the point now where Botas is screaming on the radio saying how upset he is. And Hamilton is just like publicly embarrassing the team and saying, you know, I was the best I could today. Second place is what we got to do. And if if you're Toto Wolf, who might have one of the greatest names in all of sports, and he's hearing his two racers say these things about his car, he's thinking in his kick-ass Austrian accent or whatever it is, just like, fuck me. I got nothing else to do here. I'm, I'm trying everything I can. I mean, it's it's pretty exciting to, like you said, right? The exchange of the torch and watching Red Bull now, who's an energetic team with tons of charisma, take over the world of F1. And I've always said this about sports. If somebody makes a restriction on like what you can do and it greatly affects somebody like so much more than everybody else, there's probably something wrong with that sport. Like it's the same thing with, we've seen it with goaltenders. We've seen it with like colleges and recruiting um, limitations. Like I, I agree that obviously if you have deeper pockets than everybody else, like you should be able to capitalize on that, but to a certain extent, like we, you can't take the competitiveness out of sports. Like you can't have somebody have such a competitive advantage on everybody else. So I think the limitations, like you said, are, are a huge part in what's happening here. Yeah. I mean, if, if you hate formula one and you don't want to hear us talk about it, if you just search up Hamilton and Botas, um, I believe it's like microphone live races or something along those lines, you'll be entertained because they're so funny. They're hilarious. Um, so before I jump to random topic of the week, where do you, uh, where do you want to shift to? Um, I don't really have anything else other than um, I am very excited for July 10th to see Conor McGregor fight again. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're, we're going to get this in when, uh, whenever Phil comes back on, whenever we get the two of them back on, because I, I don't know if everybody caught that in the last episode, it was towards the end, but, Phil Burnett is a huge Conor McGregor guy. He's, he's got the, uh, I mean, Conor McGregor no, no longer has a stake in the, uh, in the whiskey company, but Phil's got the hoodie. He had the whiskey. <laughs> he has the hat. I think he had, he sent us a picture of him decked out in the whole, <laughs> in the whole getup. And then Conor McGregor got destroyed in the second he round. He got his ass handed to him. Oh, so, my but, God. Uh, I mean, if anyone's looking for a betting strategy, just bet whoever the underdog is. Like, it, it not, Honestly, is, it's, not, it's not bad. It's not a bad it, option. It, it truly is 50-50 on, whether, on who wins this fight. And right now, I think it's, it's a pick em, So both guys are getting negative odds. Um, but... Give it until fight week. See whoever gets to plus odds and then just hammer them. Cause it, it, it <laughs> truly, it truly is 50 50, but man, oh man, am I excited? Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, we've talked about this in the past. I know nothing about USC, but it's always exciting to watch it and see who's going to win. Um, so let's, you know, let's talk a little, um, 
random topic of the week. So to, to preface what I'm going to say is I got to bring up um, a little news with Lamar Jackson. But Lamar Jackson is currently negotiating his new deal with the Baltimore Ravens with the help of his mother, which I think is very cool. I don't think if that's maybe the best thing to do. I don't know whether she's got experience of this. You know, Ovechkin did, I think, this with his mom as well. But she was an Olympic athlete and she was professional. So I think that's a little bit of a uh, makes more sense. If you could have anyone, let's go TV character. Can't say Ari Gold because that's too easy. But if you could have any TV character of all time negotiate a contract for you, who would it be? I'm going to say that we can't take anyone from ballers either. Fair. That's fair. Makes sense. Uh, I'm going to let you go first. I, I got to think about that because I was definitely going Ari Gold. I know. It was it was the obvious answer. We were both going to say it, so I had to exclude him from this. But um... Oh, you're going someone from Suits. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to Harvey Specter. Um, I'd want him to uh, negotiate my deal. I think that'd be pretty good. I think he'd be ruthless. And there's an episode where he's negotiating Darren Williams' deal with the Brooklyn Nets. And if anyone knows about Darren Williams and his time with the Brooklyn Nets, he was awful. So near the end, I should say, near the end, he wasn't very good. And yeah, I mean, I would love to have Harvey Specter negotiate my deal. So who would you have? Well, I'm, I'm going to take the literal approach. I'm going out of movies and I'm just ta- I'm taking Jerry Maguire. Show yeah, me the yeah. money, baby. <laughs> that was the other one that came to mind. I, I thought that you could go with or even, you know, even E. E wouldn't be a bad option. Uh, he had a couple of wins in his day. Um, I think he was actually representing athletes at one point. I know Steve Nash made an appearance in the uh, in the office there. Steve Nash did? Yeah, Kevin Love did too. Oh, I remember yeah, Love. It's time to rewatch it. I know. I finished it about a month and a half ago. I've been watching Archer again. But man, it's... Uh, yeah, I think those are two great options. Well, episode 50's in the books. Hopefully 51's got you know Phil and Jake coming on. But why? Another day in paradise, man. Another, another happy Monday. Moo, baby, moo. Moo, baby. <laughs> <laughs>